0: Dr. Doreen Grand is a- Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism.
1: Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand
0: Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with the fabulous and wonderful Dr. Doreen Grampichet. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning. How are you?
1: I'm well, thank you. It's been a while. It has
0: been a while since we've had you in studio and we're excited to have you back. I know everybody's excited to see you here. If this is your first time, welcome. If you've been with us before, welcome back. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is how this works. Dr. Grampichet is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40 years, which is Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, uh, because she sure doesn't look like it, right? Uh, But she's been working in this field for a long, long time with all kinds of individuals, people... Who are just babies, mm-hmm. up through senior citizens. There is no one who has more respect for individuals on the autism spectrum than Dr. Grampiche does. She's a true advocate for those individuals and trying to fight for their rights and for them to be viewed as whole entire people. Yes. You were the person way back before, uh, you know, because you're you're a behaviorist, uh, you're a licensed clinical psychologist and a behaviorist mm-hmm. and a BCBAD if anybody cares about the alphabets. Um, (laughs) But, um, you know, 20 years ago, you were talking about how these are whole people and it's more than just behavior. They have medical needs. They have dietary needs that go hand in hand with things. Um, and to look at them as whole people and even people in your field were giving you grief about that oh, telling, yeah. telling yeah, yeah. you you should sit down and shut up and you did not yeah. you spoke out for people on the spectrum and their rights and you continue to do that yeah. and I love I, I'm going to get t-shirts made that say it has to be fair Yeah, because well, that's you. that's the song that you sing all the time that if you're going to work with an individual on the spectrum it has to be fair for yeah. them Yeah, absolutely. so I respect and admire you as you know thank you. my uh, child was had the benefit of your knowledge and we are so much he and I and our entire family are so much the better for it so I love that you donate this time and that Thank you're you here very
1: much it's my pleasure
0: do you know we're in our 13th year now of doing it's this exciting it's I crazy it. right so um, you can be asking your questions of Dr. Grampy right now. We are live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and about a dozen other sites that our fabulous Trayvon is already showing you. You can write in on any of those platforms and we will be able to see it, both uh, Dr. Grampy and I, here in real time. We look forward to that. Don't forget, though, that this whole show will be available as a podcast later on today. There are, are really a bunch of different ways that you can watch it. One new way that I'm very excited to share with you is that we have a new app, hmm. um, which you can get right now. If you have an Apple device, then you can get it on the Apple Store. We're working on the Android. Actually, I said this yesterday. And it's a lie. Traven mm-hmm. is working on, <laughs> on getting it on the Android. Uh, but you can get it right now. It's free. And it will show you all the latest videos, and you can look through the library. It's a great way to view our videos. But you can also watch our video library of the last 13 years, 12, we're now in the 13th year, on YouTube. And of course, the audio version is uh, available wherever you get your podcasts. So, um, wonderful. I'm glad that you guys are here, and I hope that you will write in. Our topic today, we always have a topic to start but you guys can write in a question about whatever you'd like. But our topic today is perseveration. Yes. This is one of these crazy words that I, whenever I would hear people say this, I would go, what? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when people would just use, oh, are you perseverating on that? I would think, I would be like, that's just weird. Don't use that in a sentence. Oh. And now I use it in a sentence all the time. I say I've gone to the dark side. Uh, but our starter question, I believe, has to do with this. If you don't mind, I'm going to read it. Uh, I have watched all your videos in Autism Live. I've been trying to connect with you for the last few months. I have a son who just turned nine years old he is verbal asd diagnosed hyperlexic fascination towards letters and numbers he is writing in the air more often oh, right. i don't know how to divert that mm-hmm. i am trying different methods but nothing is working i know that it's not hurting anybody i feel it's self-stimulatory behavior however in a group class it's disturbing and shifting the focus He will have some math problem or counting that he needs to finish writing in the air to continue or rejoin the session. Mm -hmm. Example, in a taekwondo class, all of a sudden he starts writing in the air. Uh, That way he won't focus in class and it disturbs the other kids as well. Please help me on how to handle this or guide me if I am looking in a wrong perspective. Please, uh, and, and, you know, she talks about how we can connect with her, but she says, I appreciate everything you do. It has helped us lots of times. Can't thank you enough, Dr. Grampiche.
1: So. Sure. So there's, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Yeah. And, like, it's, you know, we can talk about it. Perseveration as a whole is kind of an interesting thing in autism because nobody really knows what is causing these types of, what we call ritualistic, stereotypical behaviors, or self-stimulatory, is what it's often called in behavioral lingo. Um, but I think it's important to really think about what it could because what could be causing it in each child, and also uh, just have an open mind because it, there's I've seen so many different things, right? So on this one, it's kind of inter- well. First of all, let me just back up and say that in general. My experience has been that when there's perseverative behavior, um, a lot of times it is similar to what we see in obsessive-compulsive behavior, OCD, which the compulsion... In OCD, in obsessive-compulsive behavior, there's an obsession, which is a thought, and then a compulsion, which is an action that is taken to calm that thought. That's how OCD works. So in other words... Um, There are germs everywhere is the thought, and I will wash my hands repeatedly is the compulsion, and that's just an example. So with kids with autism, sometimes we see that where we don't know what the thought is, obviously, um, that is provoking it, but there's a kind of repetitive behavior that needs to take place, like it just has to happen, and... Until that happens, the child is agitated. And it's almost like they just have to take control of their environment by doing this, right? And so, um, and remember, with OCD type behaviors, there's an uh, element of anxiety where until I've done this compulsion, the world is about to fall apart. There's, you're anxious about it. So, uh, A, it could be a compulsion of that type, in which case you want to focus on it just like you would anxiety. And, you know, we've talked a lot about anxiety, and generally the treatments for anxiety are most often some form of medication and then, uh, I guess, you know, calming, meditative types of exercises. But it's very hard when a child is... I think this child is nine. And did the parents say if they're verbal or not? They did not. Yeah. uh, They did not say that. But the child is
0: nine. Oh, no, he is verbal. You're right. Yes. He is verbal. Okay.
1: And so the thing is that, like, sometimes with a child, it sounds like this is a child who might be able to do this, which is allow them some other more acceptable, I guess, way of expressing that need so perhaps if the child has a a way to like every time they have some sort of compulsive thing um, I don't know like they'll take something from one pocket and put it in another pocket just something that allows them to keep track of the compulsive thought or whatever the anxious thought is So And then they later are able to either write it out um, or do whatever it is they need to get it out of their system, right? I mean, so in other words, behaviorally, you are allowing it, you're just getting it under control. You're getting it under what we call stimulus control, so it's kind of like contained in a specific time frame, so it's not interrupting all their other behaviors. So when, when it occurs, let's say, in the middle of a class or in the middle of a sports activity, Uh, they wouldn't stop and be, you know, doing all this kind of stuff. They would just actually just remember that, oh, I can take one marble and put it in my other pocket. That means I have as many as I have here. I'm going to do it multiple times later. So it's kind of like a delay or like they could reset a watch or something that allows them to keep track of it might be satisfying enough. I do recommend that you see a physician and try to consider... Uh, antidepressants which are the medications for anti-anxiety and consider that because that will kind of take the edge off and the need to do this type of behavior right when they need to do it so that's kind of the most I guess common reason that children will will, will engage in that kind of behavior but you also have to realize we're not really clear on how our kids see things or perceive their environments. And, you know, when I first read this question, which had come to me, I was like, okay, this is really interesting because I've seen a lot of kids do error writing. Yeah. But now that I'm, like, so interested in this other thing that's happening, uh, you know, the spelling phenomenon where kids, nonverbal kids, are able to, like, you know, spell by putting uh, their hand in uh, letter boards. Yeah it just immediately made me think, you know, is this some motor form of the child trying to communicate? Although it is a verbal child, so they have a different mode of communicating, but somehow this, you know, ability to communicate is being triggered somehow. I don't know. So it's worth observing more and trying to figure out, For example, is the child actually, can you tell what they're writing? If you stop them at that moment and ask them what they're writing, what will they tell you? Is it just something um, kind of ritualistic, like something they saw on TV or, you know, something that they're rotely uh, repeating? Or is it something that is in context to that particular environment that they're in when they're doing it? I'm kind of always open to investigating those types of things more and understanding them more because you know in ABA or in general in behavioral psych what we're trying to do all the time is manage behaviors so that it's more socially acceptable yeah and we all do that right in an yeah. envir- i mean like we all have to be socially acceptable in order to live in this world, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you can't do crazy
0: things all the time, you you can't you walk want. up to the pizza counter and slap the, the person at the counter
1: just because you feel like it right. or you have some right. need to do that, right? right so it becomes really important mm-hmm. to manage our behaviors and kind of keep ourselves within a certain set of rules, but at the same time we always want to find out what is causing the, the yes. need, the urge, the desire to engage in that kind of behavior. But
0: this is one of the things that I ultimately respect about you so much, that the, I think there are a lot of people that would just be like, oh, that behavior is this. It's
1: not acceptable. Let's and, get rid of
0: it. Uh, well, or just the, label it and go, it's this, instead of saying, I don't know for this individual what this is. Why don't we find out? Right, right, right. And I think that's, Which I respect that that's the place that you always come from, saying this is an individual. Right. He's doing Doing something we
1: don't know enough
0: about exactly. it yet,
1: and 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 why the exactly why, the why is so important for every kid.
0: Yeah, and the and the OCD conversation. I don't know if you've seen. I don't know whether it's actually Keanu Reeves, and maybe somebody can write in and tell us. But there are a series. It's like a, a meme. There's a series of reels. A, that have this guy who either is Keanu Reeves or looks like Keanu Reeves about OCD. Uh-huh. And there's one where... And and I, you know, am someone who has uh, OCD. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, ooh, it's a little too close to home. They show him in his apartment, you know, and he's ironing something and he's getting ready to leave. And he gets to the front door and, you know, he's like, did I unplug the iron? And so... The-
1: and goes back in yeah. he
0: goes back in and he checks the iron and makes sure he gets back to the door and he's like I don't know did I really check it so he goes back in and he unplugs it mm-hmm. he's like okay mm-hmm. now it's done he gets back to the door and he's like but did I do it so he goes back and he's like I'm gonna take a picture of it which I have done I'm gonna take a picture of it to prove to myself oh. that in fact I have done it and and then he gets to the door again and I think he I think then he goes back and he Cuts the cord to the to the uh, the iron. He's like <laughs> now I'm good. I can go. He gets almost to his car and he goes back in. And the next shot they show is of him carrying the, the iron, iron with it. him. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I, because there's it's it's that thing. Yeah. And and here's the thing that my son will say to me. He'll say to me, "What are you anxious about? Yeah. If I, yeah. you know, because I don't have to check the door five times every day. Right." Because most of the time, I'm well enough now that I don't have to do that. But every once in a while, I'll be like, I have to go check the door. And and my son sits in the car, and he waits. And I come back, and I check the door, and I go, I don't. I'm not sure that I checked it. Right. And I'll go back to check it again. And I might do this three, four, five times. And, and by the last time I get in the car, my now adult son will say, okay, what's really going on? Yeah. What's really upsetting you, mom, that you're, you're focusing it on the door? Because mm-hmm. he's been through this with me enough. And then I go, okay, what am mm-hmm. I feeling anxious about? But, you know, I'm a 60-year-old woman with an adult child who's been trained to this so that he's my therapist. He shouldn't have to be. But to be able to do that with a 9-year-old, like, wouldn't we love to be able to do that and go, what's really going on? But I think it's important as the people who love him around him to be thinking that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But And you have to realize that getting to a point where you can describe your anxiety and talk about it is a completely different level than a lot of people a lot of people who are experiencing these types of things are either a not aware of how compulsive they are or b it's too debilitating for them to even want to try to do something about it i mean there are people who have become completely agoraphobic and will not leave their home because of what yes, you just described exactly. So it really again depends on the level of that it hits you. You know, it can be very Absolutely. severe for some people. Absolutely. Uh, but uh, the, but the whole thing with uh, you know this air, I, I just want to make sure that you are actually like we're calling it writing. Is he writing or is he just doing this because the visual of moving your hand or your finger in light produces a. At, particular sensory experience which he could also be doing
0: brian has also written in and said i understand listener my son has varying obsessions which includes in the air writing and sketching out words and it must be completed start to finish before anything else is possible yeah
1: and that's that's a lot of and and so in those types of scenarios what you are trying to do and again this goes back to like my saying that it has to be fair the reason that i say you know, consider the use of medication is that it is more fair when it's easier for the for the child or the person yeah. doing this it, to stop
0: yeah. right
1: when they medi- when they're on medication when they're off medication, it becomes a very, very challenging experience to not satisfy your obsessions with a compulsion that. Like uh, you know the the yeah. thing about it has to end I have to do this, yeah, and there this is it it starts to be debilitating in so many different ways. there yes. are kids who, for instance, will. Uh, be very late because their homework has to be absolutely perfect and you can't have one erase thing or one crossed out there you know and that becomes a part of their lives they can't make a decision because any kind of decision could potentially have a something wrong with it yeah. uh, i don't know there's a million different things i mean i had a child who had to look at certain things 10 times and that's all they did i mean it just it can get out of control and the the concept is like for this you'd want to try to help the individual not complete it but be able to you know visualize the completion or visualize something that's calming enough so that they can Move on. Yes. But that's very hard to do if you don't have any kind of medication to help you. But hear
0: what she just said that, you know, for them to be able to not finish it and still be okay. Because I think what a lot of people do is just go, no, you can't finish it. And then the anxiety goes off the charts. And
1: I mean, you know, I have a child right now who has lots of ritualistic behaviors, lots, and it is very preventative for from us doing anything else like he has so many that they are constant rituals and they make it very very hard for him to attend school to respond to do all these things because he's just so engaged in these rituals
0: Amazing, Very hard. hard. Uh, R has said, I sent an email about yeast and digestion a, a few weeks ago. Did you send it to me, R, or is that the email that you got that you were talking no, about?
1: No, no. Because have... I
0: didn't get one about yeast and digestion. So R, I don't know which email you sent it to, but the best email to send to get on this show is send it to me, Shannon, at autism-live.com. Um, and I apologize if you sent it and you. I'm sure you feel like we're not listening to you. That's not the case. Uh, We'd love to listen to you, so please, Shannon at autism-live.com. I want to shout out to Melody, who's writing to us from Rock of Gibraltar, Mm -hmm. Europe, which I I finally looked up yesterday to see where it was because I clearly did not know where it was yesterday. I did not know it's at the end of the Iberian Peninsula south of Spain. I was not aware of this. Uh, But now I know many more things about Rock Gibraltar, and the caves that you have. Cool. Uh, She says that they have good news that her son... Uh, that she'll be receiving on the 24th of May a confirmation letter saying that he has autism, uh, an acceptance for both of them, that he has it and to be able to move on. She says acceptance is the hardest thing because of his late diagnosis. My son has not been to school since last September. He is 14, so extremely hard for him to acknowledge everything. He cannot attend his school until uh, the child psychologist on the 24th of May uh, gives, when, that. gives the diagnosis. And that's very disturbing to me because regardless of whether he's getting or has, he has a right to be educated. I know the mm-hmm. laws are different in different places, um, but I'm sure that that's been very stressful for him and for you, Mom. I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah.
1: I I guess I, um, yeah. I mean, I think it's very stressful for him. I, I don't even think about the educated part, to be honest. I think about the social effect that it has on him not being able to attend school not being able to have peers or children around him feeling like he has failed at this you know like the emotional aspect of it and i think yeah it's very important for him to be able to attend and and for the school to obviously if a confirmation letter was required then the school has not made any kind of accommodation for him up to this point so i'm excited for you that hopefully with this letter and this diagnosis, they will try to accommodate. That'll probably be, honestly, your next challenge, because the schools often don't know how to accommodate. So I hope hope that they're able to do that for him.
0: Absolutely. And we're saying hello to Helen, too, who's joining us. Hello, Helen. Um, Our friend Parker wrote to us over the weekend. Okay. And Parker, if you're watching, I know that you said that you wanted to add to this, but he said, I spoke to my uncle today. This was on Sunday. um, And And before that, I saw a picture of my cousin's wedding shower. My cousin is the groom. My uncle said that only aunts and uncles were invited. My other cousins were not invited, but I still feel really hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to cause drama with my family, but it is, is it okay to feel hurt? What should I say and what should I do?
1: That's a really great question, Parker. Of course, it's always okay to feel what you feel. First of all, it doesn't matter what you're feeling. Is it's always okay because it's a feeling, and you. It's not like you have to control every feeling. You you feel certain ways. So yes, of course that's fine. I would not. I, w- I would try to understand the feeling a little bit more if I were you, Parker. And I would sit down and maybe journal. it. you're very good at writing. I would write down and say this is how I feel, and then write down all the different reasons. And as you write these reasons, uh, try to realize that clearly this is not something that was done intentionally towards you, but it is evoking certain feelings in you. And that's the thing. It's like, if I wasn't invited to something, I'd be kind of thrilled because... I like I'm a very I'm like I, I like relaxing and not having to go so people have different feelings about the same thing, right? So you have to ask yourself why are you feeling left out? And is that something that goes back to other things, right? Is yeah. it is it a common theme that you were left out in the past? Um and maybe that's why this is evoking some pretty strong emotion in you. That's kind of where I would go because the more we understand ourselves, the less there's a need to you know, tell the environment to change for us. So it's kind of like instead of you going and saying, hey, think about what, what choices you have. Like let's say you go to your cousin and you say, hey, I, you not inviting me made me feel left out. Even though you didn't invite all the other cousins, I still feel left out. That's that. Yeah. There's nothing that's going to come of that. The question really is, why did you feel left out? What is it about your prior life or experience that made you feel that way? And can you see it in a different light? Because when we these things happen in life, it's always about how we perceive things, right? It's always about how we receive something that has just happened. And if you can change the way you receive it, if you can change it to a more neutral or positive view then you'll be fine and and right like these are other things like could be the reason for instance they just don't have enough money to pay for extra people that has really nothing to do with you and you might be okay with that or Uh, You know, this is a really good thing because in the future when I have an event, I don't have to invite them or, you know, things that you could write down things that could make you feel different about it. Gain more understanding. Take a look at this opportunity as an opportunity to learn more about yourself. Gain more understanding about your own feelings. Absolutely.
0: Uh, Christina has written in, and this was a question that came in last Wednesday when uh, you weren't with us on a Wednesday. Uh, what what's the best testing for nonverbal children pertaining to annual testing to update present level in IEP? My son is ten years old and nonverbal.
1: Right. So it's a different question when you ask about an IEP because an IEP is based on educational goals and not on like let's say you know intelligence quotient or language functioning or something like that. So uh, a, you're not necessarily going to be doing Testing, as in standardized testing, because standardized testing it's just there aren't standardized tests for educational functioning, except there are developmental tests like the Brigance is actually a pretty good test that looks at uh, you know functioning levels. But there are lots of achievement tests that are you, you, it's not they're not really tests; they're kind of standards. And so, like, you look at and you see what the individual is expected to do in that grade, and then you list the things they're not able to do, and those become IEP goals. Um, Depending on your school district, they might allow only a few IEP goals. Like one of the tactics that one of our big school districts here in the LA area was doing was like you are limited to no more than three IEP goals, which you know makes oh it my very hard. Gosh, or did you not know that? No,
0: that's inexcusable. That was
1: LAUSD. Yeah. So they so we had to always like we'd have thirty goals and we'd have to like look at reducing them to three. You that's know? ridiculous. So, but the issue is with with IEPs. They will limit you to a certain number of goals. Now, I wouldn't necessarily, I I would really look at the functioning of the child. We used to use a developmental test that we had made, which was for skills, which was kind of the curriculum we'd built. You don't need that. You can look at any uh, testing that shows. Uh, a deficit in your child's uh, functioning level, whether it is across academics, behavior, social. You definitely want to touch social um, language. So like, for instance, goals that might be appropriate for your child would have to do with their ability or inability to interact with other kids, to follow the teacher's instructions, Um, to pay attention to the particular homework that's being done, to be able to academically keep up with the content, like the math or the English or whatever it is that they're teaching. So it's a variety of different skills that can be taught or supported in school. So for instance, it's not going to be something like, oh, my child doesn't know how to dress himself, because that's not something they're going to want to teach in school has to be stuff that is taught in school. So clearly you can look at a curriculum from your school district and see what is expected of your child. Uh, You can also look at just social functioning for the age of your child. You can look all these things up online, actually. Like what are social expectations for a child of 10 years of age or whatever. Yeah, 10 years of age. Um, the Brigance, as I said has a lot of these types of goals uh, you could there's a lot of I don't know if it goes up to that age though 10 years so there's a lot of if you've had any prior speech therapy testing that will have some goals it's a broad array of skills that can go into an IEP as long as they're teachable in school like for instance your child is maybe not able to go and use the the facilities alone. That would be a goal. Is your child able to put their... Uh, you know backpack in the location they're meant to that would be a goal is your child able to stand in line with all the other kids that would be a goal um, is your child able to follow the math instructions those are so it could be academic it could be social any of those types of things would constitute a goal. she's
0: written in several times have you been watching that what the updates that she's given no, um, no, But she said um, she was originally looking for what kind of testing—cognitive, developmental, and et cetera, That okay. they currently have ten goals in the IEP. She wants to know specifically what tests should okay. she ask for, and she says that the develop- developmental age is toddler.
1: Okay, so you're looking at not like the first test that I would request is probably the Merrill Palmer. Merrill Palmer, two words. It's an IQ test for nonverbal individuals. You could also do the Leiter, R, revised Leiter, L-E-I-T-E-R. Both of those are IQ tests, but what comes out of them is a bunch of skills that are below age. So, and they're nonverbal tests. So uh, it'll give you an idea of some of the things that the child is not yet able to do. It, you would also definitely want to fill out a uh, Vineland which is a questionnaire that you fill out or the teacher, but you probably should. And then in the Vineland, you'll see a ton of activities that your child would benefit from, uh, daily living activities, those types of things, and you can absolutely put those as goals. Now, if your child's nonverbal, I would, my, my personal choice would be to make sure that I give the school some goals in terms of communication, and those could be uh, a p- based on a picture exchange system or based on keyboarding. Like I would like the child to learn uh, sight words perhaps that, or icons that they could request things, and that would be a goal that the school would have to teach, which is, you know, when I want water, this is the icon for it. When I want to go to the bathroom, this is the icon for it. It's, because I don't know your child's level very well, it's anything that would allow the child to communicate their needs better. Yeah. Those goals are super, super important because if you're not able to communicate your needs, you become frustrated and annoyed and maybe angry, and then you have challenging behaviors. Yeah. Um, so that would probably be some of the stuff that I would look at.
0: Okay. Uh, Melody also wants us to know that uh, she has the the 14-year-old that's waiting on the diagnosis in Rock of Gibraltar. She says accommodations have been made for school on a one-to-one basis, but at the moment... Uh, he is on uh, a low iron supplement and deficiency, which affects his mood swings and energy, et cetera, plus puberty issues. School has been great and extremely helpful, but he is not ready, and the teachers at the moment are not ready. Until the whole team is ready and in place to help him, he is the one who needs the help the most. And, and I have to say, I, I love that you say that the school is being helpful and that the that they're trying to help him, but I'm concerned about this I understand if he's not ready at the moment because he's got some medical issues, mm-hmm. but it always worries me when a teacher says, we're not ready for a child. We'll get that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what makes them ready. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, like what, what are
0: you gonna sh- how long are you going to sharpen your pencils? What
1: are, I don't know what we're waiting for. Uh, yes, iron deficiency will make him generally lethargic, but, and mood swings, yes, he's going through puberty. So, but... I, I, Even with all of that going on, the school should be able to set specific goals and specific contingencies that work for him. Yeah. So, yeah, so what you're saying is that essentially he has a higher level of frustration right now, perhaps because he's going through puberty, which is totally fine. So increase the reinforcers and reduce the demands. Yeah. Make it fair again. Uh, But they should nevertheless have goals for him. Just because he's low iron and going through puberty doesn't mean we lay off. That's right. And do nothing.
0: That's right. I mean, look at all the circumstances in life and all, like, you know, a kid breaks his leg skiing and he can't come to school, but they they still educate them. Right. We had a pandemic and people couldn't physically be in school and they had to be at home and sometimes had COVID. We still sent work home for them. We didn't go, oh, well, well, I guess we're not going to educate you. Um, And
1: let me just go back. I'm looking at um, Christina, I guess, who's asking about the goals. I don't, Christina. Are you sure that you want to focus on academic goals versus things that might be functionally more useful to him? So they keep in mind if you're, an, it doesn't have to be academic. The stuff that you're asking for the school to do, like for instance, teaching an individual to wait, is not necessarily an academic goal, but it's a pretty important one. Teaching an individual to communicate using some augmentative system.
0: And he's got an AAC he's got an AAC device.
1: device. Let them yes. load up the goals on that. Because that is like really, really important.
0: Okay. okay. And she says that was a typo error, sorry. Oh. Um A cause AAC. Um but okay. yeah and and I'm a little frustrated right now because we've been getting a lot of calls about really ridiculous things being said in IEP meetings. It's IEP season, and I'm a little like, I kind of want to pop off here. I won't. But here's the thing, is that wherever your child is, right, so if we start with an AAC device – and we and maybe we start with the uh, you know iconic and we do the picture exchange system and mm-hmm. then we work to the AEC device. But then let's say that they've got five words on the AEC device. Then we can go to ten words, and then we go to twenty words, and then we can go to typing. Right. There's always exactly. And I find that schools a lot of times go well. We did the AAC device and we got ten words. You know, our work here is not done. even
1: that. Like I think sometimes what they'll do is they'll say he's not using his AAC oh, device. Right, so, so we mean, put it away. Right, so so it's not a functional thing, whereas yeah. really they're doing something wrong because everybody wants to communicate. You need to make it possible for the child to use their yeah. Like, for instance, for your child, does he actually use his AAC device all the time Yeah, to communicate, which would be very important.
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, and I think it's really important for us as parents to know that Everything is like on this continuum, and so once your child meets one goal, then we move on to the next goal. And a lot of times, the school gets a little lazy, and they go, "Well, we completed this OT goal." Yep. um, You know that you're. I right. I have somebody writing into me right now that the child has CP and is mildly affected in their hands, so handwriting is hard. So they've been typing. Yes. And the child can type with one finger, ten words a minute, and they're like, "So we can get rid of the OT."
1: And I literally
0: want to light my hair on fire. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that is not, no.
1: Right.
0: Now we work to get, you know, 20 words a right. minute and we start using two fingers. Right. right. Like, what? what do, really? Yeah. You're done?
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, and they'll, and I've heard from multiple parents lately saying that the school has said to them, well, we've done everything we can considering their disability. Right. Just light my hair on fire. Right, I have right. very little t- fodder right now, but light it on fire. <laughs> we have to push as parents and say to them, no, right. we
1: continue to get progress. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Sorry, didn't, I said I was going to pop off, and then I did. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I see R wrote in and said, for OCD, have you tried exposure and response prevention? And yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier, is that you always try to get the individual to prevent that particular response, that compulsive behavior, but it's a lot easier to do when the individual has the aid of an SSRI medication. In other yeah. words, it makes the individual less uh, reactive to stopping the compulsion. Because yeah. let me tell you, it, it, when it's a very severe obsessive-compulsive behavior, it, you can cause rage By response prevention. Yes. And so you need to make sure that the individual is able to actually uh, turn to something else in order to prevent themselves from doing that response. Which goes
0: right back to what we said in the beginning about it has to be fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: If, if somebody is doing something as a response to something, they have to have an alternative. Otherwise, what are you doing? Exactly. You're just taking away their exactly. comfort. Um, okay, you had a question that came in. Did I you did. want to read that one?
1: Yeah, I'd, I'd love to read that one. That came in on one of the social media um, venues. It says, hi, Dr. Doreen. Thanks for answering my previous questions. My son is now four and a half. He has been doing great. He's getting more and more language. He can speak full basic sentences, but he has issues explaining things, using past tense and future tense. First of all, congrats, that's awesome place to be. He also has a tendency of making up words and adding silly stuff makes <laughs> no sense when he's talking. His which is very typical by the way because I feel like ch- children and this one is 4. Um They are trying to mimic how language sounds to them, so they'll throw in a bunch of stuff because it just seems like that will help them sound more like we do. But that's okay. It will go away as he learns more language. His speech therapist says he is not that behind in his speech. He is doing great at preschool and playing with his peers. That's awesome. According to his teachers, he's quite a role model. At home and people he is comfortable with, he tends to ignore and act like someone with severe autism. Mm -hmm. He still doesn't, let me see, he still doesn't talk to adults and is very anxious to answer them. He turns towards us to answer them. With his peers, he's able to have conversations. So... That tells me more about you <laughs> than him, <laughs> and that tells me that he, he's smart and he has figured out that he can use you as a crutch. So it's just really very, very good observations, by the way, great uh, detail in what you wrote. Um, but what it tells me is that he's figured out that he, with you, you will help him. You'll either speak for him or guide him or do what it is he needs to do for him. And you just need to stop. And you need to be less prompting and more similar to individuals who don't, you know, like people he's not that close to. Because it sounds like the people that he is very close to enable him. That's kind of where the word comes from. So as hard as it is, you need to kind of back off and let him do things by himself, it'll be a little bit of an adjustment for him. He may, you know, react in a negative way at first because he expects you to cover for him, but then he will realize that that's not going to happen.
0: Can I throw another log on this? Sure. Our kids are so literal sometimes. And you know who I learned this from was Rosie O'Donnell. Okay. That Rosie O'Donnell uh, talked about this years ago when she had her show uh, about the fact that she was teaching her son... Um, about stranger danger mm-hmm. and she was like we don't talk to strangers right we never ever talk to strangers and then they would walk into their building and the doorman would say, say hello, hello. Mm-hmm. and her and she would be like why aren't you talking to him yeah and and eventually when he had enough language he said He's a stranger. stranger, right? And and I think that sometimes I see this all the time with our kids on the autism spectrum. The mom who had had said to her son, "No, it's time for you. You go to bed at night and you stay in your bed. That's what you do. You stay in your bed." Right. And then he kept wetting the bed. Right. And one night, in a fit of like, oh, she said, I, "Why can't you just get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the night?" Because you said, stay and in and your he bed. said, "Because I'm not allowed to leave my bed." Right, and she right. went, "Whatever." But what Rosie O'Donnell then did was went with her child and she would say, this is a stranger, but I'm here with you. You have my permission to talk to this person. Right, right. And then her child felt comfortable to do that. Now, I can only imagine with a kiddo kiddo on the spectrum. And for my son, this took a lot longer than just explaining it to him the one time. But I had taught my son. And when we're good I'm a helicopter parent still, and, I, and when people say that to me as if it's a bad thing, I go, I, I don't associate that as a bad thing, Yes. right? But I understand when you tell me time to back off, sure. right? But as a good helicopter parent, we're trying to keep our kids safe. Yes. But sometimes our cape gets caught in the fan, and we're not superheroes. Right. We're holding them up. But I'm wondering if part of his thing that he's saying it to them is he's not allowed to talk to strangers.
1: Oh, I think she said that uh, he does better with... With kids. I see. But not with adults. adults. Right, right. Yes, that's very possible. That's also very possible. I completely missed that part. Yeah. Is that maybe he's anxious about it or he thinks he's not allowed to.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we've given him that rule, you don't talk to strangers.
1: Yeah, because most of the time, honestly, kids are actually more verbal with adults than right others yeah that's yeah. very true interesting yeah very
0: very interesting um okay uh and somebody sarah said my son used to uh to do that at the same age the whole th- i think she was talking about the adding words into the sentences right right i right. have a friend who wants to believe that he speaks spanish and he knows like three <laughs> this is an adult not on the spectrum and yeah. we'll be someplace, and he <coughs> will try to speak Spanish to the waiter, and he throws in words that are not Spanish. You're kidding me! No, and That's we all so just how, and he thinks that he's getting it done, and the and the waiter will collapse in gales of laughter. Um, but he like and he and he has it like it's at the right cadence and the right accent, but half the words are gibberish. That's so funny. But he thinks that he's got it. Yeah, uh, and so I yeah. think it's funny that our kids, in some respects, yeah. my son would just you know he he had been speaking in sentences and then that all went away but what was interesting was that he would have these um they were superhero um people that were, it was like called the first responders or something, that they okay. were shorter than G.I. Joe's, but they were firemen and policemen. And so he would put them close together, and he the, he knew that they were supposed to be talking. Yeah. But so he would go... <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, that's because, so interesting. Because he
1: had no words to say. But and he also go, possibly <laughs> because that's <laughs> what he heard. Maybe. You know, like, a lot of times we have to realize, like, kids will imitate life, yeah, and so sometimes, like when you say that, the very first thing is, I wonder if he heard things muffled. Maybe you know, it's, which is would delay language acquisition, yes. right? Because you're just hearing a muffled sound. Yeah. But I, but I very found it fascinating. And then he would, when
0: he, like he would come up to me and he'd go blah 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 yeah. blah blah Yeah, he was trying right? to because he wanted he and and he had at one point right. been right. able to do right. that to me, and now those words weren't weren't there. Yes.
1: I mean, Um, you remember that whole phase that we teach parents to go, like, I don't know what you just said. You got to do better. Yeah.
0: But I think for parents on the spectrum, there's so much fear. And and
1: let me tell you, I can understand that there's a lot of fear from parents who have kids on the spectrum. It's also, it's just the way we are as parents. Because as a parent of, of neurotypical children, I can tell you that I did that for my kids forever. You know, like... And I still do to a large yeah. extent. You just, as a parent, as a good parent, you want to solve the problems of your child. Yes. That's just what you want to yes. do. So it's very typical that you will jump in and try to figure things out for the child, especially when it's a child on the spectrum, because even more so, yeah. right? And that just becomes a crutch to them. Yeah. Do you know what I think? I just realized
0: I had this epiphany. I, one of the things that I think that helped me so much was when I was twenty, my dad had a stroke. Mm-hmm. And my dad who had been fully verbal, most brilliant person mm-hmm. I've ever met in my life, and he lost most of his language, mm-hmm. right? And we spent the next 12 years helping him reacquire language. Wow. He never spoke with the same proficiency, like, and he would have good days and bad days. He never spoke with the same proficiency that he had before the stroke. But I knew what it was to help someone regain language. Interesting. And that I knew that there was progress to be had. And so I... When when Jem lost language, it was like, oh, I'm familiar with this, what do we need to do, let's get in, let's dig in, and let's keep working, because we're only going to get someplace better than we are right now. Absolutely. Um, And and I remember thinking back then, I was like, oh, that sort of prepared me for this, but then I, you know, somewhere I tucked that into the recesses of my mind. Um, But... Um, it's ironic to me that my father would lose language it's, and then my kid lost language. And it must language, have been such right?
1: a difficult thing, such a struggle to go through that well, for I him think, and for all of you.
0: I, you know, I think for so many parents, it's, you know, somebody said to me recently, they were like, I don't really understand the mindset of people, um, you know, parents um, that have kids on the spectrum. Why are they so fearful? Why are they so? And I said, really? Because, <laughs> uh, you know, to have because there's only really, I think, three types of autism parents. Either your kid just never met any developmental milestones and you were worried about that. Right. And, you know, right? Then there are people that, their, their kids slowly lost skills that they had, which was me right and and you have that's a certain very, paranoia very about hard. that because you say my child is losing skills and you say it to the pediatrician and everybody tells you you're imagining it Ugh, and you know you're not so hard. So that's a level of paranoia and distrust of people right? And then there are the parents who their child lost skills very quickly where one day they were one way and the next day they were the other and it was like a car accident. And I think that for those parents, the level of stress and paranoia because it's like, what happened?
1: Could happen again.
0: Right. And we all have that. We're like, wait a second. If this didn't happen or this did happen, could it happen again? My supervisor, I drove her batty. Because my son would get a skill and she would be like, yay, he got the skill. And I would go, oh, is he going to lose it again? Right. That would be my first question. Right, right. And right. sometimes we did regress. Yes. That happened.
1: Yes, sure. Um,
0: but, I, but I'll tell you, what I got paranoid about was making sure that he had as many sessions as possible. Because I saw that if we took three days off to go to Disneyland... We would slide back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I learned, you know, you take, we talked about this yesterday on the show, you take as many sessions as you can yes. and you sit in the front row and raise your
1: hand. That's right.
0: Um, okay, we're saying good morning to our journey, Cameron's New Life. And Melody says, I'm blessed that Autism Live exists. Thank you for answering all my questions. As I am a newbie parent, I am doing a course with other parents who are in the same school as my son, but their kids are a few years younger and their kids too are on the autism spectrum. We were all helping each other out and learning. I think great. what a great thing because having yeah. a support group, although I'm sure it feels different for you because your child is older and I'm going to guess that there is some grief there. Like why couldn't he have gotten this diagnosis sooner? Why didn't somebody tell me sooner? And I, I think it's important to acknowledge that, but That's don't true. let that stop you. Now yeah. is the moment. You th- know now.
1: Yeah. And I, I just love hearing that there are parents supporting each other because yeah. even no matter what the numbers are, and of course, we've not really even discussed how crazy it is that it's now one in yeah. 36. Yeah but whatever the numbers are it just there more and more people are experiencing it and to some extent that becomes i guess it, you know autism is take it from me someone who's been in this field for 45 years it is a very very different experience that you're having as a parent today than parents did 40 years ago wow. Um, even 30 years ago. I mean, like things have changed continually and have become more, there's more acceptance, there's more resources, there's more information, there's more awareness, there's more of everything good. Um, but at the same time, it's still you as an individual are still going through all the same emotions that the parent did 45 years ago, right? Yeah. It's always the same experience of fear and um and I feel like a lot of the fear that comes with for parents of kids with autism is just, am I doing the right thing? Yes. What is the right thing? And it's just such a weird, you know, I always said this, like it's the strangest thing that how many, how many other issues or disorders are there where you as the parent have to figure that out? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, your child has diabetes. Here are the treatments. Your child has any other thing. Here are the ways that you treat it. But with autism, there's not only a lot of questions about which one is the right thing. A lot of uh, the treatments are kind of opposed to each other. And there's no single source that you can go to that tells you all the things that you're supposed to do, you know. So that's kind of why I feel like when you and I do our, you know, the 10 things that are very important to do, I think it's really just like valuable to... support each other as parents and help each other figure out, have you done this? Have you done that? And just like be supportive of each other. Now, that being said, it's also a very difficult thing because pa- every child is different. Exactly. And when parents get together, there is often that thing of, oh, his kid is doing better than mine, and what is that? And maybe I should be doing what he's doing. And yeah. a lot of times things that are good for one child are not necessarily good for another child. And it's very hard. It's just a really, really difficult Thing to deal with. This is why I always say to parents, you know, you need two support groups. You need
0: one that's local and one that's global.
1: That's very good. Because
0: your local one is going to be. People are going to tell you. Oh, do
1: this? Did you do that? Yeah. Did Did you
0: you go to this dentist? This is the dentist that's like sensory friendly. This
1: new food or this supplement, right? Or or? this
0: store, you can get this restaurant, this whatever. But when you go to the global one, you can find other parents who have kids that remind you of your kids. That's so important, right? I, I remember I was always looking at that. And I'll tell you, the first kiddo who walked into the studio that I was like, oh, he reminds me of my kid. Now I look at them and I go, oh, they're so different. And their autism is so different. But when Kobe Bird... Yeah,
1: I was going to say. I right? Was Kobe say. Bird walked
0: into the studio for the first time when he was probably 14 years old. And he was a tall drink of water then, too. Yeah. And so was my kid. and And he had this way of using his hands when he talked. And I went okay, he reminds me of Jem, right. I'm going to meet his mom and we're going to, yeah. you know, and it was crazy because uh, she invited us to uh, a birthday party of Kobe's and, I, and we went, even though that wasn't my thing, but I was like, oh, I gotta, I gotta try. Cause you know, it's, he seems, and he's a year older than Jem. So we went to his birthday party and my son comes running up to me at this birthday party. He goes, mom, Mom, they asked me if I want a piece of cake, and I told them I can't have it because I'm gluten free and I'm dairy free and I'm almond free. And she said, It doesn't have any of those things. Can I have a piece? And I went, What? She has a birthday cake that's gluten-free. And and this, you know, because this is like 10 years ago, not 10, like eight years ago. And I was like, she has a birthday, like a yeah, real birthday yeah, cake. That it, yeah. And of course, I, you know, I'm like going like this through the crowd. I got to see this cake. It's a beautiful cake. <laughs> and it was. It was gluten-free. And I went, how, how did you get a, a like a commercial yeah. birthday cake? And she hooked me up. And we've been friends ever since, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because... It, you know, and she went, I'm so, ex- this is your child's first time having birthday cake? And it was. Yeah. You know, and it's those kinds of moments. We will be friends forever. Ever.
1: Yeah. And I'll say something also, I'm glad you said Kobe, because like when I, uh, when we were doing the podcast a thought yeah. and he was speaking, I think one of the things about him is that he's so eloquent and so expressive that a lot, he shares a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. and that will that I was sitting there listening to him and it reminded me at least of like four different kids I know Mm -hmm. and it was like one aspect of what he said I was like oh I know another kid just like that Mm -hmm. another thing I'd be like oh I know another kid just like that and it's like the way that he expresses things it's so good he's so analytic yeah that he can tell you all these different things and you're like yes and there are there's no question there are subtypes of kids, right? Yes. And you're right, Shannon, when you find another child that is has some similarities, it's also like you're finding paths to explore.
0: Absolutely, but, and I think there's a level of it too that as a parent, you find another person who gets it. Yes. Sometimes something will happen because my child is very, you know, I, I don't like the term, but high-functioning, right? Mm-hmm. And he's moving around the world and doing things, And there are some of my friends that I can't call up when he's having a bad day and go, guess what happened today? Because to them, that would be a good day. Yes. And for me, it's a bad day. But I know that I can call Rachel Bird and I can say this happened and I'm feeling this way and she validates me. Everybody deserves to have that. And Melody, I see that your son has still not met another autistic child or person. But you know that there are so many people on television and in the movies that you can point to for him, like Kobe Bird. Have him watch Lock yeah. and Key and, and point out that there's Kobe. He's an actor in the show mm-hmm. and he's a person on the spectrum. For us, when my son was little, it was when James Durbin oh, was on. Right, American and that's Idol. a
1: huge deal. And I
0: would, we would sit and watch it and I would say, look, there's James Durbin and, yes. you know, and he does this and, and, you know, and he has something called Tourette's and you don't have that, but he has autism and you do. Look yes. at, You and James have this yes. in common yes. and James is talented and whatever. So thrilled when, when my son actually finally got to meet him in person. Right. What a lovely human being he is. But, I, but there are role models now. There are all kinds of people Absolutely. that you can point to Absolutely. and say, look, yes. you know, this person has autism. Look at all the things that they're doing. I mean, um, what's his name? Uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins has come out and right. said that he has been diagnosed uh, on the more Asperger end of things. Right. But he's on the spectrum. So, there are all these wonderful role models now that people you can point to and, and say, Yeah, well, you know, there you go. They're a person just like you and they're okay and yeah. they need this. And, yeah. you know, uh, I love that. Uh, oh, our journey cameras new family says Shannon does this for our family, but you need more support locally. You know that you do. Um, but that global and local. We're almost out of time. I'm saying hello to Joannie. Um, but last thoughts on perseverations. Anything you want to say before I tell them what's on tomorrow?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the the main thing with perseverations for me is just to always be very open and ask what is the motivation behind it. Um, I don't. I'm as a behaviorist, I can say I don't like the way the behavioral world looks at perseverations necessarily. Because as you said, Shannon, it's just like it's a behavior that needs to be eliminated. As a psychologist, I, I'm more into kind of what is the motivation, what's causing the impulse or the urge to, to do these perseverative behaviors, and can I replace the uh, the calming response, that, the results that the individual gets by doing something else? Can I... Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, there's lots of techniques, and I love the techniques, systematic desensitization, all these other things work. But I just want to make sure that before we try to eliminate these types of behaviors, yeah. we try to observe them a little bit and gain some understanding of what is causing the individual to need them. Yeah. Um, a lot. Of, I One of my children who has a lot of perseverative behaviors, like right now, I'm questioning whether or not he has some form of tardive dyskinesia from medications that he was receiving mm. before. It's important to analyze the behavior before you immediately jump to kind of get rid of it.
0: And once you do, then there are more interesting options that are available.
1: Yeah, and, there's, and there's, when there is more understanding, you, the likelihood of the behavior occurring in some other form goes yes. down. there we go.
0: I mean, I think about Temple Grandin. And Temple had a lot of Yes, And um, she found that having herself squished helped her get through parts of the day. There you go. go. But she also understood that she couldn't take her cow squisher into her college classes with her. She understood that she, you know, her mom understood that she loved to spin that plate on, on her bed. And her mom said, you can do that an hour a day, but then you have to go muck the stalls. But here's the important thing for Temple that need could be met in an hour. Yes. For other children, that may not have worked. Right. And Temple ultimately, and says all the time, that being on medication was the thing that helped her to get across the finish line. Yeah. She did all these things and had medication. Yep.
1: So yep. individuals as individuals. And there's a lot better medications nowadays than there were when Temple was a child. Amen to that. Um, But I think that's a whole other thing for
0: parents to be fearful about. But uh, you got to take it one step at a time. I do want to talk about tomorrow's show. On the show tomorrow, our first guest is Marcus Boyd, who's a uh, motivational international keynote speaker, identifies on the spectrum. We're thrilled that he is going to be here with us. And then in the second half of the show, we have Tasha Rollins, who's going to be with us. She has written a new book that's the book that I always threaten to write. It's an, it's an autism jargon dictionary. Mm-hmm. And what it, she doesn't make fun of anything. You guys know that I make fun of uh, jargon definitions, but she doesn't make fun of anything. It's just a really accessible yeah, that very it, good. A dictionary that if you look up a word, it, right. you'll be able to understand it without having to look up 17 other words. Perfect. Uh, which is really remarkable. She's going to talk with us about why she felt the need to do that. I think we can all imagine why. Uh, but anyway, thank you all for being here. Uh, Joannie says she hasn't found anyone Like our son Yan, because he keeps uh, growing and changing, and that is the truth. That is the truth. But I hope that you'll find somebody that's close enough so that it's a resource for you and for them. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow, and thank you. Always a pleasure. So So nice to be back. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with, uh, as I said, Marcus and with Tasha Rawlings. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye bye for now. Bye everyone. don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there.